Welcome to the Dream Job System, the only podcast that provides proven tangible strategies to help you land a job you love without traditional experience and without applying online. Get ready to level up your job search with your host, Austin Belsack. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Dream Job System podcast. I'm your host, Austin Belsack, and today we are back with our monthly Ask Austin Anything episode. So I've been having so much fun with these episodes. I love getting your questions, but especially since we started using a new platform called Community. So you've probably heard me drop my phone number in the episodes or you've seen it on my LinkedIn profile or elsewhere. And that phone number is tied to a platform called Community, which essentially allows me to text with you. And it's uh, super, super awesome. So for this episode, I sent a text out to everybody on that platform or everybody in that community right now. And I asked them about their burning career questions. And we got a ton of answers back. We couldn't fit all of them in, but I picked six of them, which I think captured the general sentiment of what most people were asking. So I'm really, really excited to dive into those today. But if you have a question that you want to ask me, and if you want it to be featured on one of our Ask Austin Anything episodes, feel free to give me a text. It's 201-479-9511. My number's in the show notes as well, but shoot me a text, mention the Ask me ask Austin Anything or Ask Me Anything episodes, and we'll make sure that we feature it in one of the monthly episodes that we do. So let's jump into the questions here. First and foremost, I got one from Praveen, and he's asking how you narrow down your target company list, given that there are thousands of employers out there. So what are the best criteria to use to help you zero in on companies and focus your job search? How do you build out your options? And I love this question, right, for two reasons. One, because I specifically recommend coming up with a list of 10 to 15 target companies, right, and focusing all of your energy on those companies. But there are thousands and thousands and thousands of companies out there. So how do you do this efficiently and effectively? And one of the best ways to make this faster is to understand your own values first. A big mistake that a lot of job seekers make is they just go through the job boards and they look to see if there's a role that matches and maybe they do some cursory, you know, research on the company and then they submit their application. But that doesn't really solve for too much, especially if we don't know our own values. So what I really encourage people to do uh, is essentially two exercises. The first is to sit down with a piece of paper and draw a line down the middle. And then on the left side, write a header called energy drainers. Uh, and then on the uh, left or on the right hand side, excuse me, we want to have a header that basically says, you know, energy creators. So on the energy drainers side, I want you to think about everything that you do in your current job that saps your energy. Like, what do you hate doing? What totally drains you? What exhausts you about your current role? And I want you to be specific. And then on the energy creator side, I want you to think about the things that give you energy. What activities make the rest of the day feel better? What activities do you enjoy doing? What activities make you feel that buzz, right? And I want you to get specific here. And then what I want you to do is reflect on the list. Check out the things that drain and sap your energy and then check out the things that give you energy and use that as a baseline for the roles that you're targeting. Does it seem like these roles focus more on the energy creators or do they focus more on the energy drainers? And if you can find that next role that heavily focuses on the energy creators, it's probably not ever going to be 100%. There's always going to be an aspect of our job which is draining or we don't love. But if you can make the vast majority of your daily activities focused on energy creators, you're going to be so much happier. 
Now, the second exercise is to really get clear on your values and what you're interested in, right? So one of the ways that many people suggest is to take some sort of personality test, right? And you can do that and that's fine. The one and the only one that I really recommend or, or ever share is Strengths Finders. And that's good in and of itself in the fact that it gives you your strengths and you can play into those. Uh, but really, I think that the best thing for you to do is sit down and prioritize the things that matter, right? So what do I mean by that? Well, there's a lot of aspects that go into a job, right? There's obviously salary, and that has a big impact on how we feel about our job. But then there's our manager, and there are the teammates that we work with. And there is the culture, both of how we do business, you know, the hours that we work and the types of projects that we're allowed to take on. And then on top of that, there's also the culture of the people, right? You know, are there happy hours or do are people friends outside of work? You know, is there a focus on inclusivity, diversity and inclusion, all of that good stuff, or are those things missing? And so when we think about all this stuff, you know, PTO, continuing education, trajectory, so on and so forth, I want you to sit down and write all of that out. And then I want you to prioritize them. So literally, you know, ranking them from one to however many you have on that list and try to go deep, right? So I would think about salary, team, manager, product, work culture, both from the, the business side of things and then also from the cultural side of things. I would think about visibility. I would think about trajectory. I would think about skills. And then what I would do is prioritize those and look at that list and say, okay, what matters most to me? Because for some people, having a massive salary outweighs everything else. Like they don't care how many hours they work. They don't care if they're working remotely. They don't care what the product is. If they're getting paid a certain amount of money, they are set and good to go. But for some people, there's no amount of money that can make up for having an awful manager or not working on a product that you know has an impact on people or whatever it is. And so understanding what that setup looks like for you alongside the things that give you energy and things that sap energy is going to be a really, really powerful combo. Because what you're going to be able to do is go to a company website or listen to you know some interviews with a founder, and you're going to immediately be able to know if what they're talking about aligns with your values. And the problem is most job seekers don't take the time time to do this reflection and this self-analysis up front. And so they're really playing a guessing game. So once you've done that, that's the first step, then that's sort of where the, the shortcut ends, right? Outside of that, you really have to get out there and you just kind of have to go through the list of companies that are out there that are in your target industry. And you just have to apply the values and the criteria to these companies. And there isn't really a shortcut. There isn't a tool you can use to automate this. It really comes down to doing the manual research. But how do you find some of these companies? Obviously, you can look at lists, right? Like the, you know, the Fortune 500 or the Inc. 5000 is another good one for smaller, fast growing startups. You can also run searches for, you know, top companies in this industry, in this city or in this area or top startups or fastest growing startups in this industry, in this area. You can go through job boards and you can see what companies are posting roles and then you can go look up the company themselves. Those are the main options. And again, there aren't many ways to shortcut it. But if you have your values very, very clear, and if you know exactly what you're excited about, it's going to be a heck of a lot easier and faster for you to look at a company and say, wow, you know, this is exactly what I'm looking for, or I think this is what I'm looking for, and I'm excited to learn more, or, you know, whoa, this is not aligned with what I'm looking for. And then once you apply and once you get into the interview phase, again, you can ask these questions that come back to those criteria and those values uh, so that you get a better 
better understanding from an actual human being about whether or not there's some alignment here. And that's super important because you want to make sure that you are aligned. And the last thing you want to do is settle for a job that is not aligned with your values because, you know, it pays a certain amount or whatever it is, because then you're just going to be right back in the job search very, very quickly. So that's what I would recommend doing. um, And that's where I'd recommend starting. So hopefully those lists helped. And also I hope those exercises helped as well. So our next question comes from Blake Cook, and he is in Chicago. He actually hit me up and asked if I give him a little shout out. So Blake is in Chicago. He's looking for an entry level marketing role. And uh, if anybody's list- who's listening uh, has an opportunity, you know, feel free to hit Blake up or you can hit me up and I can introduce you. But he had an awesome question, which was, what are a few LinkedIn habits I can do every day to maximize my time and my reach? So I have a couple here. First and foremost, one of the easiest and best things you can do on LinkedIn is just create a habit of reaching out to one person every single day. So hopefully you have some clarity on where you want to go, right? When I was job searching, I had the criteria for my dream job, which was I wanted to be working in a major city like New York, LA, et cetera. I wanted to be working for a major tech company like Google, Microsoft, et cetera. I wanted to be making a certain salary. Uh, and you know, I wanted to be doing this all before the age of 26. So I used LinkedIn's filters to find people who checked all those boxes and also came from a non-traditional background. And I reached out to about a hundred of the of those people. Um, and I ended up talking to 20 or 30 of them. But, you know, if I made, I did that all in one shot. If I made that a habit of, of reaching out to one person every single day, I would have gotten through those people in, in just a couple of months, right? And I would have gotten those same results. But the folks who are already doing what you want to do, right? The people who are already living the reality that you want to be your own reality, they're the best people you can get advice from. And if you just make a habit of reaching out to one person every day, that's so, that's one, that's an easy way to start, but it's also so, so much better than not reaching out to anybody. So I feel like that's a less intimidating place to start rather than just saying, hey, go network, reach out to all these people. So the first thing I would do is make a habit of reaching out to one person who is living the life I want to live. And I would do that every single day. The next thing that I would do is leave value-driven comments on posts from people who are in my target industry. So one of the easiest ways to find these people to start with is just by typing in something along the lines of, you know, know, influencers to follow in X industry. So you could say, you know, 10 sales influencers to follow on LinkedIn or user experience influencers to follow on LinkedIn or sales thought leaders to follow on LinkedIn. And there's going to be a bunch of listicles that come up in those search results. So just click on those listicles, go look at the people's profiles, see whose content jives with you. And then what you can do is actually bookmark their post feed, which is a a tip I learned from my buddy, Justin Welsh, who is uh, also a fantastic person to to follow uh, on LinkedIn. But if you bookmark their post feed, what you can do is every single day, just show up on on their post feed, see if they have a recent post. And if they do, leave a value-driven comment. So a value-driven comment has a couple of factors, right? Typically, people show up and they say things like great tips or love this or thanks for sharing. And that's awesome. It's positive. But that doesn't really help you stand out from the crowd, right? So instead, what you should do is start by uh, basically saying thank you to the person and tagging them. So, you know, hey, thanks so much for posting this, Justin. I, I love what you're saying. Then I would restate, you know, what they said in their post. So I would essentially show them I read their post by restating something that they said. And then I would add my own value or my own experience, or I would bring something new to the table. And so, you know, let's say if Justin uh, was posting about, you know, how a lot of people spend so much time watching Netflix and reading books 
and so few people spend time building their own brand, which is exactly what he posted about this morning, I might leave a comment that says something like, thanks so much for posting this, Justin. You know, this really hits home with me. I see the same thing with a lot of the people that I work with. You know, so many of them are telling me they don't have time to do X, Y, and Z things. And then I ask them to do this time audit and it turns out they're spending a lot of time on things that aren't taking them closer to their goals. So for me personally, the way I overcame this was blah, blah, blah. And so that's my value-driven comment, right? That's probably several sentences, if not a paragraph or two long. And what that's gonna do is it's gonna catch Justin's attention. It's gonna catch the author's attention. It's gonna help you build a relationship with them. But also because the comment is valuable, it's gonna push you up the ranks of the comment thread so that if you're in that number one spot, you can actually piggyback off the post views. So if you pick somebody who's getting 10, if not hundreds of thousands of views on their posts, you have the potential to get your comment in front of tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people, right? And those people may see your comment and say, whoa, this is really interesting. Like, I wanna learn more about this person. And then they click on your profile. So this is such a great way for you to drive profile views. And it doesn't take very long. I have a list of about, I think, 20 people in my bookmarks and it goes right to their post feed. And I think I can get through that in about, usually it's about 10 to 15 minutes every day. So that's not a lot of time, right? And I think everybody has 10 to 15 minutes uh, in their day that they could allocate to something like this. So I would say between leaving those value-driven comments and reaching out to one person every day who is basically living you know, your reality already, those are two of the best bang for your buck actions that you can take on LinkedIn. Uh, but Blake, I really, really love that question. I appreciate you texting it in. Now, Shelly and Lakshmi had similar questions here, and they go hand in hand. So Shelly's question we'll start with. She asks, what's the best way to find remote jobs that aren't advertised? And at the end of the day, this is essentially the hidden job market, if you've ever heard about it, right? So the question really is, how do we find jobs that aren't advertised? And then the remote piece is just a layer on top of that. So how do we find jobs that aren't advertised? Well, the the only real answer here is to build relationships with people who are working at the companies that we want to work at, right? Because the way that jobs are created, you know, the, the order in which the events happen is that, you know, a manager decides that they need a headcount on their team. They go apply for that headcount, they get approval. And then what typically happens is they announce that they got the approval and they tell their team, hey, you know, we got the approval, we're working on the job description, we're gonna get it out as soon as we can. But if you know of anybody who'd be interested or who'd be a good fit, send them our way. So what happens in that time between the announcement internally and when the job description is posted live online? Well, all of these internal employees and the referrals are, are you know, getting funneled into the role. And that is essentially the hidden job market, you know, pull back the curtain and, you know, remove the marketing jargon. That's what the hidden job market is right there. That That is the process. So the only way that we're going to be able to get into that process is if we have the connections at the company. So instead of just randomly trying to network, one of the best things that we can do is, again, come up with our list of 10 to 15 target companies and really invest in building relationships at those companies, regardless of whether or not they have roles open right now. Because as soon as a role opens, you will have that relationship in place and you'll be able to be funneled into uh, the role, right? You'll be able to get referred in because you already have the relationship. Now, for the remote piece, really what this is all about is, is understanding the company and its culture. And a lot of companies are fairly public about this, or you can learn about it pretty easily just from an informational interview or even, you know, one email or message. But just asking them, you know, hey, what's your remote work policy look like? Or, you know, hey, I, I was reading on the website that, you know, there there's this shift that the CEO is talking about of people going back to the office. You know, is that going to be 100% of the time? Is that going to be a little more flexible? 
The other thing you can do is look at where employees work on LinkedIn. So if you see 10 employees in the same job title and the company's headquarters is in Boston, let's say, but people are working or they have on their profile, you know, Seattle or LA or Texas or whatever it is, you can assume that there are some remote options because there are people that are not working in the HQ who are on this team. So there's a number of different ways to figure that out, but it really just comes down to doing your research or, you know, asking. And then once you understand, you know, hey, this is a company that allows for remote work. It's also a company that meets my target criteria that we talked about in the, in the answer to the first question. That's a company that I'm going to start investing in and start building relationships with. So that leads us into Lakshmi's question, which is how far in, how far in advance, excuse me, should I start networking with insiders at my dream company? So basically, how early is too early if that's a thing? Uh, and it's not a thing. You know, it is never, ever, ever too early to start networking and building relationships with people at your dream company because relationships take time. And the more time you have to build them, the stronger the relationship will be because you can spend so much more time giving and adding value to the other person rather than trying to really squeeze this relationship into 30 days because that's how long you have to get a job, right? So if you can start early, that's why, you know, I always talk to people who, you know, they're students that are still in school or they're in a job right now that they're happy with. And they tell me, you know, well, you know, I, I think I'm going to wait until I, I get close to graduation or, you know, I'm really happy with my job right now. I'm probably going to wait to network. I think that's a big mistake because networking doesn't take a lot of time. You know, we already just shared two ways that you can do it on LinkedIn in just a couple of minutes per day. And you don't need to be touching base with people every week, right? You can touch base with people every three, four weeks, once a month, and you can still maintain that relationship. But if you are putting relationship building on the back burner, what's going to happen is you are going to basically be in a position where you have to make a move and then you're going to have to build these relationships from scratch. Whereas if the relationships are already there, one, one, you're going to find that there are going to be proactive opportunities brought to you. Your network's going to come to you and say, hey, here's this opportunity. You know, I know you're happy at your job or I know you're not graduating for X number of, of months, but I think you'd be a good fit for it. Would you be interested in learning more? That's going to happen. But on top of that, you know, even let's say that doesn't happen as you get closer to that period of time when you really want to put the pedal to the metal, you already have a slew of people who you've given a lot of value to that you're ready to connect with or, or, you know, make the ask of, right? Not necessarily connect with, you've already done that, but make the ask of, make that withdrawal. So it's never, ever, ever too early to start networking. And it's so easy to do it on a longer time horizon because you can really invest in the other person without the need or the pressure to make that ask for yourself. So both of these questions were really good and I kind of wanted to, to pair them up together because I thought that, that they worked really, really well there. Our next question comes from Chris. So Chris says, after I pick mentors, where do I go from there? I've scheduled meetings with them, but what do I ask them? I want to make it meaningful. So a mentor-mentee relationship is really a situation where, you know, there's the mentor who has probably more knowledge and experience and things to share. And then the mentee who is looking to, you know, soak up that knowledge and implement it. So the value for the mentee is obvious, right? You know, we have this person who has a lot of experience and we want to learn from that experience and we want their help. The value is obvious, but what does the mentor get out of this? Well, the mentor is getting the value of being a teacher, right? It all feels, or we all feel good when we are able to share knowledge and information that we, you know, feel like we know something about. And then it feels even better when there's somebody else, you know, soaking up that information and actually taking action on it. But the big problem that I see, especially with a lot of informational interviews, is that people will 
essentially ask for advice and then they disappear. You never hear from them again. And so, you know, the person giving the advice, they don't know what happened. Did you take it? Did it work? Did it not? Is there more I can do? I don't even know. Are we ever going to talk again? Mentors want to know that you're worth investing in, right? And so one of the easiest ways to show them that is by taking action on their advice and reporting back to them. So I specifically call this the advice triangle, and I've talked about it in a previous episode. But essentially, what you want to do in these conversations is you want to show up with asks that lead to actionable outcomes. So if you have a question, right, you know, not just how do I get a job in marketing, but, you know, I really want to make myself a stronger candidate for this type of marketing role. Here are a couple of things I've done. Now I'm I'm thinking about doing A or B. What would you recommend? And now we've made it super easy for them to answer, right? They can tell us to do A, they can tell us to do B, or they can, you know, create their own option. But hopefully that's an actionable thing, right? Maybe A is take this course and B is read a book. Well, then we can go take the course or then we can read a book and then we can go back to them and say, hey, I took that course or I read that book. Here's what I learned. You know, what's next? And when we do that, we show them that we're worth investing in because we're somebody who, A, listened to their advice, but B, rolled up our sleeves and took action on it. So the next time we ask for advice, they're going to trust that we're going to do the same and they may give us better and deeper advice. And then you really just rinse and repeat, right? So one of the easiest ways to start the conversation is to just the, to ask the mentor either that A or B question and make it super easy for them to answer or ask them to share a little bit about their story. And maybe you want to show them that you've done your research on them and you, you know what their story is. But start there and then try to find some way to open the door for actionable advice. Try to find some actionable takeaway that you can go out there and implement and then follow up with the mentor on. And if you rinse and repeat there, that's really what's going to keep the relationship going because you're in that cycle. So our last question here comes from Scott. And Scott asks, what are the best strategies for transitioning into a different career path? He said, I'm a quantitative analyst for a market research firm looking to transition into a more traditional data science role. So this is awesome. I love it. And really what this comes down to is two things. One, you need to understand how your current skill set transfers into the new role. But two, you also need to understand where your gaps are and how you can fill them. So I see a lot of people trying to transition roles and they go take a course and they go read a book and then they put it on their resume and they say, hey, I took this course, you know, I'm qualified now. And that's not really the case. You know, companies, they want to, they, they don't care that you just got the knowledge. They want to see what you can do with the knowledge, right? You know, I can sit here and tell you, you know, hey, I took a course on astrophysics, but if you don't, if you don't know the outcome, how's that helpful, right? Did I get an F? Did I get an A? I'm not really telling you. And so just taking the course is not indicative of your ability to do the job. So instead, what you need to do is get out there and actually find ways to turn that knowledge into actionable results. So for this specific role for data science, you know, you already have the analytical background. Something that I would do is go think about the projects that you can put together and create a portfolio of those. So people get really, really creative with this. Um, you know, there's an awesome subreddit on Reddit called uh, it's our data is beautiful. And people have a lot of data visualizations about, you know, pop culture stuff or, or you know, different stuff that's going on in the world, um, you know, climate change, things like that. Uh, sports is also a great place to do this. Baseball, basketball, there's a lot of statistics that go into, uh, into those leagues and a lot of people play around with those. The other thing that I like to do is look at boot camp uh, capstone projects. So for example, if you Google General Assembly Data Science Gallery, you can see a lot of the capstone projects that these 
these data science students put together. And you can get inspiration from those. And then finally, another thing you can do is essentially what we talked about earlier, but go find people who are working in roles that that you want or working in data science roles, but came from a non-traditional background and have conversations with them. Ask them about the projects that you can start. Ask them about the types of actions you can take to turn your knowledge into real world results and then go do that. And one of the most effective things you can do is create a portfolio around this, right? So when you create one of these visualizations, uh, when you put together a project, write a blog post about it and talk through the process, right? How'd you come up with the idea? Where'd you source the data from? What frameworks or methods or tools did you use to analyze it? And what was the outcome? And can you include some really, really nice graphics? But that's really the key here is finding a way to take that knowledge that you're getting or to take the transferable skills that you already have and turn them into essentially, you know, real world results for this new field. And then the other piece of the puzzle here is obviously getting a referral. It's going to be really, really hard for you to stand out with just a resume alone, not saying it's impossible. I know a lot of people who have done it, but at the end of the day, you're going to have a much easier time if you're building relationships with people in the data science world, and then you're also creating these projects. But the cool part is a lot of what we're talking about here can be tied together, right? So how can you get on these people's radar? Well, can you use LinkedIn to comment on their posts or reach out to them as a starter? Then can you use the advice triangle to position them as a mentor and say, you know, I'm trying to get into data science and you're obviously, you you have a very impressive background. Um, I'm thinking about doing this project or that project. Which one do you think would position me as a better candidate? And then they tell you, oh, I think, you know, this project would. So you go actually do that project and then you follow up with them and they can see the results, right? And now all of a sudden you've built a relationship with somebody who's a data scientist who's seen the results you've put together and boom, there you go. That could be your referral, right? So a lot of this stuff we talked about in this episode can really be tied together and used for this specific case where you're trying to transition industries. So that's it for this month's Ask Me Anything episode. Uh, This was a lot of fun, but if you have questions of your own that you want answered, just shoot me a text. Again, my number is 201-479-9511. That's exactly where I sourced all of the questions for this episode. I'm gonna send out a text uh, later next month in April to source some more. But if you wanna get ahead of the curve, feel free to text them in now and I'll make sure we get them added to the list. But as always, I really appreciate you listening. I hope you find these episodes fun and we'll see you back on our regularly scheduled program in the next episode. Take care.